The voting rights bill has been denied. Stephen Colbert knows nothing about American civics. And there may be more to the Ashley Babbitt story than just her being an insurrectionist. It's the Adrian Slade Show. The presidential motorcade was just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slade Show. The left will do anything in its power to maintain power. That's how they operate. They will destroy the vestiges of the republic. They will destroy demeanor. They will destroy processes, the Constitution. They don't care. And they're doing that now with this whole filibuster thing. And so, of course, everybody under the sun has to get in on this. Um, Listen to Amy Klobuchar. She's the one who... uh, what is she, eating salad with her comb and uh, throwing clipboards at her interns? Listen to her talk about the filibuster. Reasons not to move forward with legislation at this watershed moment. As reason not to do what it takes to come to protecting the most sacred of rights, the right to vote. Some have argued that allowing voting rights legislation to pass the Senate without clearing a 60-vote threshold would be a mistake that would open the door to somehow leading to wild swings in federal policy. I'm trying to imagine this place ever uh, involved in such a thing, given how slowly we go and how many people understandably want to make sure we're careful in how we pass laws. But that's one of the things that have been raised for why we need some kind of a 60-vote threshold, which, of course, is not in the Constitution. The word filibuster, a cloture, not in the Constitution. And, in fact, legislatures across this land some of whom do very good things, do not use a 60-vote threshold. In fact, democracies across the world do not use a 60-vote threshold. The truth is this. We have tried for months to persuade our Republican colleagues to join us in supporting legislation, to work with us, to debate it. But what they do is they throw a wrench into the process and then basically walk out that door and go home. We don't have that debate that allows us to have amendments and allows us to ultimately have a vote on the bill. It is cut off from a vote. Do we really need to fashion ourselves after democracies around the world? We are the successful democracy. America is the successful model. People need to follow our lead, Ms. Klobuchar. We don't follow their lead. We don't. That's why I get tired of the democratic socialist idiots. Well, you know, they got Sweden and Norway. They follow our lead. Okay. They have welfare states that are bloated. And the only reason why they're actually coming back into success with their economy is because they've reduced those and embraced a little bit more capitalism like we do. And To have her sit there and talk about how we need to be more like other democracies because they don't have a 60-vote threshold. You know what? Here's the thing. First off, again, we are a constitutional republic, all right? We are a representative republic. We are not a democracy. But also, that 60-vote threshold is to make sure that the grind of Governance, the grind of the legislative branch is so huge. The grind slows everything down. This is why you have to go to the uh, House Ways and Means Committee to come up with 
something to vote for. And then you go to the floor of the House and then you kick it over the Senate and then it goes in the Senate committee and then it goes into the reason for the gridlock. The reason for the slowdown of all of these things are because the only thing that should be making it through that meat grinder is Angus beef. You know what I'm saying? The only thing that should be able to squeeze past the legislative branch is something that's been so fleshed out, something that's been so debated, something that's been so uh, so vetted that it would allow a 60-vote threshold to go through. And so Amy Klobuchar doesn't understand this. She, she doesn't understand that that's the original design. It's not to streamline legislation just willy-nilly. Let's just come up with it and get it out tomorrow. Yeah. We've got to pass it to see what's in it, right, Ms. Pelosi? Right? And that's how, this, that's how this all goes down. What we typically do is we just write these bloated freaking bills, you know, 1,000-page bills. No one reads it. We voted on Christmas Eve after submitting it for, for less than 24 hours, and the interns can't even dissect sections of it to give it to their representative to vote on it. And then you got idiots like Andrew uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who's out there voting proxy, and then hanging out in Florida without her mask, and then complaining about how she's now got Omicron. These are the things that we need to weed out. And this voting rights legislation is garbage because what they're trying to do is they're trying to enshrine their party's power. They did it the first time and it failed with their. Uh, HB1, you know, they, they tried to pass this uh, voting act that just failed miserably. Thank God it did. And now they're trying to do it again. And they want to put it under uh, John Lewis's uh, moniker. And they want to act as though this is going to uphold some sort of integrity that was taken away. You know, we're going to restore or we're going to give election integrity to the vote, but yet wasn't 2020 supposed to be the cleanest and, and uh, the, the most fairest election of all, right? 81 million votes for Joe Biden out of the blue. So why do we need to go through this process? Why do we need to federalize voting? Everything about a constitutional republic is local. It's local city councils. It's local state legislature elections, it's your governor, it's federalism. And these people don't understand any of this crap. And so this leads us to these stupid arguments like federalizing the vote. You know, let's let's let the uh let's nationalize the the entire voting process and then you know we can just go with a you know a vote between two wolves and a, a sheep. You know, we'll see who wins, right? That's what this boils down to. And then they have to bring in cultural morons like Stephen Colbert. So Stephen Colbert is going to get on his soapbox on his platform that was given to him because he was a good lackey and he did the right things. You know, he was on The Daily Show and then he went to, to the Colbert Report and did his little mocking of uh, actually he was on Strangers with Candy, too. And actually, let me go back. I, I'll, I will give you my comedy aficionado re, uh, resume 
He was on Exit 57, which was a great show. If I knew you were coming out of Bake to Cake, Bake to Cake, right? If you've seen Exit 57, it was a short-lived sketch comedy show, really funny. Even had most of the people that were involved with Strangers with Candy. Um, so then he was the principal, I think, on, or a teacher on Strangers with Candy. Um, but then he did this little mock Bill O'Reilly role, which, I mean, mock Bill O'Reilly all day. I don't give a crap about that. I'll mock along with you. Um, so it was funny to me. But when they gave him a late night talk show, it, he's just not a late night talk show guy. He did pretty well when he sat in with the tough crowd with Colin Quinn and Nick DiPaolo and Patrice O'Neill. Um, he did some crank yankers, which, you know, it was kind of funny. The one crank yanker skit he did. But when he got into late night comedy, he's too serious. And, and this is Stephen Colbert with Elizabeth Warren. Now he's trying again. It's funny to watch. He's trying to make his point while Elizabeth Warren is sitting there trying to humanize herself with zero genuineness, with zero personality. She's just like, she's playing it up. She's like acting, overacting, full of herself. And it's so fake. It's just like, it's really fake and it's cringeworthy. Um, this is like, I'm going to get myself a beer. It's the it's that cringeworthy level. And uh, Stephen Colbert decides to press her on removal of the Senate, of all things. You can't get rid of the filibuster. What about, and just hear me out here and try to okay. hear this objectively. I'm ready. What if mm -hmm. we just get rid of the Senate? <laughs> and I'm 100% serious here. It is the most anti-democratic institution next to the judiciary because the judiciary is only the way it is because the, Senate, the Senate is the way it is. No one would drop a single tear. You've already got tenure. You can go back to your old job. You'll be fine. <laughs> Spend more time with Bailey and Bruce, okay? I, I, have I don't understand what possible positive purpose the United States Senate provides right now. Oh, and he's not done yet. He's going to double down because that's what leftists do. They double down on stupid. They double down. They never rethink anything. You know, it's like what Thomas Sowell said. You know, Republicans always go, they always ask the question, and then what? So if something's presented to them, they don't just take it at face value. They go, well, and then what? What happens here? What happens there? What are the unintended consequences? You know, if you're going to remove the filibuster, well, then what? What happens if the Republicans get into power? Do you want to have that filibuster removed? Because what will happen is we will pack the Senate because we are looking at a red wave coming down the line and we won't need 60 votes for anything. We can pass all the stuff we want and we can destroy your build back better, great reset garbage. We can pull all that stuff out and we can pass things we want. We can get rid of CRT across the nation. So he doubles down and continues to go on his little rant about the Senate. If they have a majority. But it's not. So be it. It's an anti-democratic institution. That's no, just if 41 million I'm Americans are represented more by, by your side than the Republicans, and yet they could get one more vote. Stephen Colbert obviously doesn't understand what the Senate was designed or what the design of the Senate was. I think he's from Canada anyway, so. Uh, don't expect him to have much civics, but it's also uh, just the fact that he's going to double down on his stupidity and sit there and talk about removing the Senate because it's irrelevant. 
Um, he doesn't understand that the Senate is irrelevant because it was changed from the way it was according to its original design. It makes a ton more sense to have a Senate if we had it the way it was originally set up, where your senators are appointed by your state legislature. So it would make total sense to have one chamber of the legislative body designated and appointed by your state legislatures, and then the other one, a representation on the population of your districts in your state. <laughs> so if we're keeping score, you know, if you're keeping score at home, the left wants to protect our democracy, which we're actually a constitutional republic, a representative republic, by eliminating the Senate, the Electoral College, the filibuster. Then they want to make D.C. and Puerto Rico states so they can add more representatives. They want to take one from Wisconsin and what Minnesota, one of the states up there that they feel shouldn't have that many uh, because they have three um, a representative and two senators. And then they want to load up on the Supreme Court judge, uh, you know, panel. They want to just load it up, pile on Supreme Court justices until, you know, for miles and miles. Um, so that's what these idiots are all about. And you're going to see more of this because they really are mad that they thought that they could steal the election and then steal the runoffs in Georgia to have a Senate majority that they can pass anything with. You know, Kamala Harris being the vice president can be the tiebreaker. So then they can pass all this garbage. The problem is they didn't realize cinema, Kristen Cinema, and Joe Manchin aren't playing their game. And it's because they're actually taking a look at what their constituents want because that's what they were elected for, to represent their constituents. And then they're also looking at the bigger picture, the republic. And so these people are talking about they want to protect our democracy and Kristen Sinema's ruining our democracy. Um, she's actually standing against her own party and going against some wins that she could actually get out of this because she doesn't want that institution broken just to get a simple win. They did that with the nuclear option and look what happened to them. So listen to uh, Stephen Colbert because, you know, this is what they do. The left always, notice how quickly they will dunk on their own side if they don't fall in line. Protecting our democracy means forgetting about the party lines and doing what it should to maintain the integrity of the branches of government. That's what Kristen Sinema is doing. And old Stephen Colbert out there who has lost his humor. He used to be funny when he was kind of doing that little mocking shtick about uh, Bill O'Reilly with the Colbert rapport. But uh, he's not funny whatsoever anymore. And uh, listen to him bag on Kristen Sinema. Democrats hope to spend the holiday passing much-needed voting rights legislation. To do that, they have to modify the filibuster. But that dream died last week thanks to Arizona Senator and Mrs. Hamburglar, <laughs> Kirsten Sinema. Last week, Senator Sinema took to the Senate floor to announce that while she values voting, the filibuster is her first love. While I continue to support these bills, I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. What is the legislative filibuster other than a tool that requires new federal policy to be broadly supported by senators representing a broader cross-section of Americans? No. No. <laughs> not representing a broader cross-section of Americans. The 50 senators who are currently filibustering the voting rights bill represent 41 million fewer Americans than the senators who support it. Stop acting like the filibuster is anything other... <laughs> 
Stop acting like the filibuster is anything other than an anti-democratic tool, which is also a pretty good description of Kirsten Sinema. The real tool here would be Stephen Colbert, because outside of just being a douchebag tool, he's also a tool for the uh, for the left. He's a useful idiot who they can use to try to influence his platform, his his audience to support this bill that they tried to pass to federalize elections. Well, he's going to be crying and a lot of others are going to be crying because the Senate GOP blocked the voting bill from Bloomberg. Senate GOP blocks voting bill setting up rules change bid. Chuck Schumer says he'll move to next to create a talking filibuster. Mansion and cinema expected to dash plans after Senate rules, even with Nick Saban from Al- Alabama calling up Mansion and pleading with Mansion to vote differently. He had Oprah calling him. He had everybody under the sun. Obama's hitting him up. That guy, and you know what? He stood his ground because he understands what they plan to do would impact his community because it would push these Build Back Better programs in, which would destroy the energy sector, especially coal and uh, those kind of things that that you know that his state thrives on. Um, of course, he's not going to support that just so we can pass the Marxist agenda. You know, I mean, some people actually do what they're supposed to do, which is you are representative of your constituents. You're there to act on our behalf. We chose you so that while we're working and we're living our life and we don't have the time to go to D.C. and to lobby for things, we we basically elect a representative or as far as the Senate goes, someone who can handle the financial end of it, of these bills. And we send them up to D.C. so that they can operate on our behalf, not on behalf of of uh, not on on not electing them so that they can elect or they can lobby their audience, their electorate. You know what I mean? They don't get to pick and choose. Well, I like these cr- this group here, and I I'm gonna go to D.C. and do stuff for them. Um, they have to do stuff for us because they are our employees, and I think a lot of people in D.C. have forgotten this. Senate Republicans, again, block legislation designed to expand voter participation and restore some protection from the landmark 1965 Voting Rights Act, touching off an unusual and likely doomed effort by Democrats to alter Senate filibuster rules to usher it through. (laughs) In a Senate uh, evenly split between two parties, All 50 Republicans opposed advancing the legislation to the final bill, leaving that bill well short of the 60-vote threshold needed. The vote dashes Democrats' prospects of fulfilling a key promise made before they won control of the White House and Congress by the slimmest of margins in the 2020 election. No, they stole it. They tried to steal Georgia. That didn't work out. They had a runoff, and then they stole it again. Same shenanigans that happened on election night, with uh, votes, uh, you know, the voting uh, staff sent home in the middle of the night and all that stuff happened identically with the Georgia runoff because the key was to push through Build Back Better for the World Economic Forum, whose keynote speaker this week in Davos is Xi Jinping. So like I've said for years on this podcast, 
The model is China. The stakeholder capitalism ruse, which is basically constructive co uh, communism through the private sector, is the model. And they want everyone to set the stage in their perspective or their respective nations. So Build Back Better was the big platform that Justin Trudeau's talking about it. Uh, you know, uh, Boris Johnson's talking about it. Everybody across the globe is talking Build Back Better. And that seems to be the slogan that Joe Biden ran on. That's the name of the bill. It's basically to lay the groundwork for a green economy. So it is the Green New Deal, but not a Green New Deal in name, but in makeup and definition and substance. Yes, it is. And so that's what we were running into. So they had to do everything in their power to gain power because they've got a they've got a 10 year window right now. Donald Trump put a big snag in their 10 year window. And so that's why when you hear them say, oh, we only have 10 years left to the end of the world. No, you only have 10 years left to implement everything for the World Economic Forum, not for the representatives uh, or not for the citizenry of the United States with their representatives acting on their behalf. We didn't vote for any of that stuff, but that's what they're trying to push through. So right now they're hitting more snags. So really to boil everything down, they wanted to put the Green New Deal in power and that didn't work. They, they basically put a portion of the infrastructure bill through and that got dashed with Sen uh, Senator Cinema and Manchin voting against the Build Back Better plan. So they decide, well, let's go ahead and do a voting rights act so we can solidify our power, and then that'll give us time to get everything ready for the new global union of the United Nations of Davos, as I like to call it. And so that's what you're witnessing. Because remember, when they gained the majority, HB1 was a voting federalization act, and it got slammed. So now they just decided to wrap it up in sort of you know, racism, because racism is the key thing now, and everyone's being taught critical race theory, and that's part of Xi Jinping's cultural revolution of America to infect the culture and infect ac academia and even, uh, even churches and religion and every, every faucet of culture has to be infected with racism so that we can divide and we can diminish the nation and put it in disarray to the point where China gains power and China had its greatest quarter to date. <laughs> Imagine that its greatest financial quarter, even with the Evergrande bank collapsing their housing market collapsing. How did they do that? Hmm, maybe it's because all the other countries in the world locked their damn government or, or locked their business sectors down because of the flu, the, uh, the Corona sniffy, sniffy uh, cough, cough, you know, luckily Omicron's fixing that for us right now, but that's what's happening. And so what they have to do is multiple things to maintain the power. They have to try to get rid of the filibuster. They have to try to pass some sort of federalization of voting of elections so that they can solidify their power and they can consolidate their power. That's what they're doing now. The consolidation of power is to go after the political opposition. So they've done that a number of ways. They've gone after people that protest at school districts with the FBI. They're talking about the Capitol Police 
being federalized and and implemented in different locations across the nation because the Capitol Police, they don't have to answer to a FOIA request and they can be directed and controlled by Congress. Hmm. So if Nancy Pelosi stays speaker, which I'm hearing she's going to step down, I don't know who's going to take her place. Hopefully the red wave comes through and we just get a minority leader out of it. But regardless of that, whoever is in Congress can direct and control this Capitol Police. The post office was being used to monitor social media for threats. They're actually training a group of, (laughs) they're making a military wing that's going to go after domestic terrorism. And they've actually got one crew that they're training to help take down illegitimate governments. What about the illegitimate government here in the United States? What about the Biden junta? I mean, here's the thing. He gets into power, puts up a big old fence, brings in the National Guard. They have to they have to patrol the streets of D.C. They make him sleep in the freaking parking garage. And then what happens? We have this event, January 6th, that the FBI came in under the cover of darkness, along with Antifa members who were cloaked under backwards red MAGA hats which I called out the day it happened on the podcast. If you've listened to my podcast that long, you remember January 6th where I took all the things that Antifa said that they were going to do and pointed out how it actually was in play that day, along with members of uh, insurrection, uh, what is it, Insurgency USA, that Jake Sullivan guy. Um, All these people were the ones instigating this entire riot and they turned it around as a Reichstag fire to say, Oh, it was all the MAGA people. So we're going to go after the MAGA people. People that weren't there were being uh, uh, talked to by the FBI or they were being interviewed and being uh, put on their three Oh twos and, and being questioned. All of that happened. In fact, I've got plenty of people I know that were hitting me up on social media and direct messages telling me, Oh yeah, the FBI contacted me. So, They're consolidating power by taking their political dissidents. They're throwing them in jail for excessive parading, putting them in solitary confinement for months, giving them crappy meals, and then turning around and macing them for 30 minutes. It's ridiculous what they're doing. We have political prisoners in the United States. I never thought I'd see that day. And it's all because they're trying to push a global union. So they have to get rid of any political opposition. And then we get to what happened with Ashley Babbitt. She was the lady that was killed inside the Senate. We're starting to hear new things about what happened that evening and how Ashley Babbitt may not have been trying to just crash through the window in the, in the chambers of the, of the, of the, of Congress to, uh, you know, to protest. There's video of her, going up to the Capitol Police and saying, why are you guys not doing anything? Do you see this? What's going on? And I'm going to follow this video clip up with a story that gets into the nitty-gritty of what was happening, and it's going to give you a different light on Ashley Babbitt. But this is what happens when you have a fascistic administration who pretends they're fighting fascism and trying to protect our democracy by, you know, basically purging like Joseph Stalin did. It's a political dissidence. 
How are you doing, man? Good, man. Yeah. Stay safe, all right? <laughs> Man, you are covered. I thought I was bad. You got it way worse. <laughs> hey, do you need water or something, man? So what you're hearing is Ashley Babbitt going up to the police officers way before everything went down. In fact, the person that shared that video tweeted out, corrupted video footage shows the moment Ashley Babbitt and I arrived at the speaker's doors. Ashley is seen briefly talking to the officers. You can also hear me offer Yetter a water bottle since he's covered in powder from the crowd control munitions they were throwing. So the narrative starts to twist and turn because Ashley Babbitt might not have been the way that they're portraying her to be. And this is from the Epoch Times. Ashley Babbitt pleaded with police to call for backup moments before she was shot and killed. So that kind of changes. Everybody was always saying, oh, she was an insurrectionist, so it's good that she died. That's how the left always portrayed it with their stupid narratives. Just moments before she was shot and killed, Ashley Babbitt confronted the, uh, the police officers guarding the doors of the speaker's lobby at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, blasting them for allowing rioters to smash the windows and not calling for backup and analysis of a journalist video shows. So this article's behind a paywall, but I read the whole thing, and I'll give you kind of the rundown and the synopsis. Basically, Ashley Babbitt was really kind of teed off by the fact that people started bashing the windows and, and trying to break into the, uh, to the Capitol. And she saw that the police officers weren't doing anything. They were just kind of hanging out. So she went up to him. She's like, hey, are you guys going to do anything? Call for freaking help. And so then she goes inside the Capitol and she's talking to some of the people there, some of the police telling them, hey, these people are trying to come in and destroy uh, the Capitol. So then apparently they're saying that she's claustrophobic and that she kind of had a, a moment where people were rushing in because the police were right behind her. The guy who shot her was a guy on the other side of the window. You can see the video where he's pointing the gun at her. That guy has been cleared for some odd reason. I guess he was, uh, you know, uh, cleared for shooting at MAGA people. I guess, I guess that's what that gets you off the hook. If you shoot at the right political dissidents, you get off the hook. But apparently what they're saying is that the window was broken by somebody she decided to climb up and jump through the window so that she could get away from the crowd that was collecting around her at a high rate because she was starting to panic from claustrophobia. And that's when the guy on the other side pulled out his gun. Cause you can see he's aiming at people. I mean, he, he's not, it's not like he just jumped up there and was like, Oh my gosh. And then shot her because she was climbing through the window. He sat there methodically waving his gun around, looking at the first person he could shoot. She unfortunately happened to be the first per person to breach that broken window and it cost her her life. But this is how we treat political dissidents. We just shoot and kill them. What's really crazy is there's talk of this civil war. They keep talking about it. There's a whole opinion piece by Newsweek of, of the upcoming civil war because we're so divided. You know what? 
we aren't we're we may be divided politically, but we're still not to the point of raising arms. I mean, we should be. I mean, look at what we went through with with the election theft, with coronavirus lockdowns, with police going out and arresting people operating businesses, you know, filling skate parks with sand that kids had to dig out. All these things happened under the guise of safety and under the guise of authoritarianism uh, being used as a method of mitigating a virus, right? So what we're looking at is that would be a recipe for some sort of pushback, some sort of uh, some sort of stance that may involve arms, and that still hasn't even happened. We still have not got. We have more guns on the side of the right, and no one's standing up and using them. But apparently, there's domestic terrorism all throughout the United States, and apparently, they're all white supremacists, right? That's what we're being told. Merrick Garland's saying that that's the biggest thing that's happening. He's running the um, the uh, Justice Department. He's the attorney general. Um, so obviously that's all garbage. What's really happening here, you can't have a civil war unless you have two sides that are ready to stand against each other for different reasons. What you have is you have a benign group of patriots who just want their country to stay their country, and then you have a group of people that want to destroy it and turn it into something else. They're citizens in name only. It's a color revolution. That's what this is. It is not a civil war. So when you hear people say, well, we're going to have a civil war. No, we're having a color revolution where we have people that are within our citizenry that don't want any remnants of the founding of this nation. They want to, they want something completely different and communist. And they're going to wave communist flags. They're going to wave Soviet flags, Chinese you know, communist flags at their events while they run around and say that they're anti-fascist. When they align more with Benito Mussolini, who was the ultimate fascist. So that's what we're dealing with here. That's why the filibuster was being looked at as being removed, even though we had but we're, we're going to have a voting rights bill to protect the or to help add integrity to the vote when they just said we had the cleanest election of all time where 81 million people voted for a complete senile racist pedophile who who would sell us out for China and and wouldn't care that the that the entire nation's national security would be basically bankrupt. That's what we're dealing with. And they have no problem in destroying things like the Electoral College, things like the filibuster, uh, things like adding D.C. representatives, make D.C. a state, add some representatives there, make Puerto Rico a state, add some representatives there, complain about how uh, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, uh, what, Min no, Minnesota or Wisconsin. I can't remember which one they always point out that, oh my gosh, they have three representatives and they don't, they shouldn't because they don't have the population, but because of the Senate, they do. 
when, like Stephen Colbert has shown, they don't understand that the Senate was designed differently than a popular vote. All of these things, they don't care. They're going to pack the Supreme Court if they can. Let's put 400 SCOTUS justices in there. Why not? Just to get their means to an end. They don't care about the Constitutional Republic or their democracy. When they say they want democracy, they just want popular vote to lead to socialism, to lead to communism. But they're not protecting any sort of uh, any sort of citizenry representation. They will destroy anything to get their means to an end. Never forget that because that's what you're witnessing. And luckily, God has his hand on us to where he's taken a, a bisexual uh, <laughs> leftist senator. And Biff over here, former former Biff, the uh, uh, jock Joe Manchin, who has to be who is an old school Democrat, and they're being used to block everything that the left is trying to do to turn us into the United Nations of the World Economic Forum of Davos. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. You can also uh, donate to the show, anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade slash support. And uh, call us, 1929 GoGoUSA. That's 1929 GoGoUSA. God bless. <laughs>